This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We're going to read from verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to zoom in on, on verses 1 through 3. And the reason why we're doing it like that, in certain sections, we like to read the whole thing so you get a good grasp on everything that's happening here, okay? So, that being said, let me read. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk of them. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that you would take the truths of your word, plant them into the depths of our heart, and cause them to bear much fruit. We give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. All right. So like I said, we're going to zoom in now, right? There's a little bit of a broad picture. We're going to zoom in on verses 1 to 3. So here's verses 1 to 3. We'll read them again and we'll dive in. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, if you're new with us, one of the things that about um, the church in Ephesus is that they were known for and driven by their cultural idolatry. This was a big, big, big deal in Ephesus, right? When we were walking through the book of Acts, we seen when Paul first um, went there, and, 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 and the whole city, like, their idolatry formed every single aspect of their lives, right? Like, for us, like, we have the slogan here in Redemption, it's, it's all of life, it's all for Jesus. And, and if they had a similar slogan it would be like all of life is all for idolatry, right? That's how crazy it was there. I mean, their 
religious idolatry, their, their idolatry became the heart of the economic system. It's, it pumped and flowed everything. Now, one of the things that you'll see me and Pastor Aaron doing often as we walk through um, the book of Ephesians and through other books inside the Bible is you'll see us make the comparisons between the cultural idols of the times of Scripture and the cultural idols that we live in now, right? Now, we're really intentional with doing this, right? And here's the reason for it. Here's the reason for it. As the sent people of God, we need to understand the idols of the culture he has placed us in because what is worshipped forms the culture. And we need to understand our missional identity in the midst of it. Right? We need to understand what is worship forms the cultures that we're, that we're around. And we need to understand our missional identity separate from the culture that we're in, that God has called us to be missionaries in, right? And here in America, that's the exact same scenario. We need to understand the cultural idols so that we have an understanding of our own missional identity as a part of them, right? Apart from them. The church in Ephesus, they needed to understand that. The, all the... T- the time, the people of God throughout all of the Bible needed to understand them, and so do we. Now, with that in mind, the Ephesians had a history of idolatry that, that the Jews frowned on while viewing themselves as the ones with this historical relationship with God, with the God of Israel, called to be a light to the nations. They knew that we were called to be a light to the nation, and that was their history. And they viewed the Ephesians as, like, as heathens, as savages. Like they, all the witchcraft, they had books of witchcrafts, a lot of them. And now... The gospel has come to the Jews, and, and they've been given the, the glorious gospel and commissioned by God to no longer just be a light to the nations, but also carry the good news out to them and invite them in. Here's the scenario. And God would send them and lead them into places that had massive systems of idolatry that was enslaving the hearts and the minds of the people, right? Now, with that in mind, what Paul is saying here in verses 1 to 3 gives us a really huge picture of what's happening here, right? He zooms in, then he comes out and he comes out. See, First, he zooms in and gives us a a close and personal deal. When he says you, when he says you were dead in your trespasses and sin, I'm going to say he's specifically talking to the Gentiles there, right? The the Ephesian church was predominantly Gentile, but it also had Jews. And he's coming and says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You know your history. You know how crazy things were. And you guys was dead dead in your trespasses and sins. You was enslaved inside of that system the way that I want you to understand and take it, take it personal, okay? 
You, okay? You yourselves, dead in your trespasses and sins, right? He zooms in. Now, there's, there's pros and cons to zooming in. The pros of zooming in is that you get to see the details closer. You get to see exactly where it's hitting at. You get to see the blemishes that you couldn't see from far away. But it's cons. See, oftentimes when we zoom in, we often crop out the surrounding details that give context, right? So when you're dealing with people and you just zoom in on the current issues, you, you crop out the important surrounding details of context, disconnecting it from the narrative that it exists in. So he zooms in and he says, yeah, you, you were dead in your trespasses. But like I said, you can disconnect it from the history, the motives, the, the direction. It's sort of like like whenever me and my wife are, are, are counseling couples or even looking at the sin inside of our own lives, we can never just look at the, the, the current situation. We have to spread it out and look at, at the history. Or when you go to the doctor and, and, and they said, well, what are you here for? And you're like, well, you know, I got a runny nose and I've been sneezing all day, right? But what you did likely before you saw the doctor was fill out a piece of paper that, that asked about your family history. They did some, some, back, some background, and then the doctor even asked you a few more questions so he could see the broader picture, right? Because you can't just zoom in. You can zoom in, but you got to zoom back out to see the context right here. So he steps back for a broader picture. So he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but then he continues all on to say, we all once lived this way. Now, when he says we all once lived this way, he's talking to the Gentiles, but he's also talking to the Jews. He's like, listen, listen, I know we're coming in and we're, we're, we're being missionaries and we're carrying the gospel out to you. And I know you could think that we had it all together as we tell you that you was dead in your trespasses and sins, but you was just like us. We were dead too. We were both Dead in our trespasses and sins. Now the picture is getting a little bit bigger here. Not just us, you too. We was caught up in the same system as you are or you were. But then he steps back again, all the way back for a full picture. And when he steps all the way back for a full picture, he says, along with the rest of mankind. As a matter of fact, none of us here are any different from the rest of mankind. We've all been enslaved into the same system of idolatry, system of sin. He, he says this is, this, this is pre-Gentile, pre-Jew, pre-Israel, all the way back to Adam, enslaved inside this consistent system of idolatry. All of us are caught up in it. Now, the Bible says 
that there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And this statement is true both naturally and spiritually, which means everybody is following somebody, whether they know it or not. Nobody is blazing a brand new trail, right? Everybody is following somebody. The issue is who you follow is the difference between life and death, freedom and slavery. We wasn't created to blaze a brand new trail. We was expected to follow. Paul is talking to them as he's writing this letter, and he says, listen, you guys have been following, but what you've been following is the course of this world. That was your past, right? This was your past. You followed the course of this world, and when he says the course of this world, he's talking about a systemized progression of idol worship. A systemized progressing of idol worship, progressing or heading in a particular direction. This is like this, this is organized idol worship, and this and it's heading in a particular direction. And the Bible said that direction is death. You was calling it, we was calling it. All of mankind following it. When you look at it, this is the current of culture. The culture that we live in has its own current of idolatry, right? You want to picture a picture like this. Like when I first, when I first moved out here, I seen the, the, those SRP canals. Now, that's crazy because in New York, you don't have stuff like that, right? You don't have some big canals, and it was like cars that was dropping inside of it and stuff like that. And it's crazy. And when you stop and you look at it, and I, I remember talking to somebody, and I'm just like, you know, hey, man, it looks sort of peaceful when you're looking at it. But he's like, yeah, nah, underneath it is this rapidly moving current. And if you get caught up inside that current, it carries you away. That's what the current of this culture is like. You get caught up inside of it and it carries you its own direction. It's like going to the airport and you have those moving sidewalks, right? And you get to stand on a moving sidewalk and you do nothing. You naturally go the direction of the sidewalk. See, going against the current of culture requires intentionality. There's times where I talk to people and they're like, man, I wasn't trying to do bad. And I'm like, nah, you don't got to try to do bad. You'll leave yourself to yourself, you'll do it. What you got to try to do is good. What you got to be intentional to do is good to go against the flow. Going against this flow of culture requires intentionality. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think inside of your mind, as we talk about systems of idolatry, I want you to start picturing some systems of idolatry inside of your mind, right? Don't call them out, but just start, start thinking about these things, like, okay, what, could, what, what fits the bill here? And, and, and as you're thinking about this, know this. Systems don't form on their own. 
That's a lie. They don't just form on their own. They're set up by somebody else. So the system itself is following the instructions of the one who set the system in motion, who one that gave the system its direction. And according to Paul, we are following the course of this world, and the course of this world is following the prince of the power of the air. It basically means demonic spirits with an agenda. So when you think about these systems of idol and culture, no one understand why you're following the course of this world. The course of this world is following demonic spirits that will push you to systematically worship anything other than the God of creation to collectively take you to death but package it up real good. I was reading this book, The Drama of Ephesians, studying this, and he has this quote when he, when he talks about it. He, he says this, It is the corruption of the air, the age of this world, by the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, that accounts for a divided humanity, in Paul's view. We have all turned our plowshares and pruning hooks into spares and swords, transforming the good gifts that we were supposed to share with each other into weapons to exploit, dominate, and destroy one another. Now, this is true for nations against nations and people groups against people groups and, and spouses against spouses and children against parents and one another. And it's true for friends. And you see all of this played out in Scripture. All of it. You don't have to exaggerate. You don't have to add things to it. You go throughout Scripture and you continuously see the people of God get caught up into the idols of culture and you see the things that they do. Now, now Paul says in verses 1 and 2, he says that we were dead. This is how, he says we were dead, yet Walking and living in our trespasses and sins. We was dead. We was dead inside our trespasses and sins. But yet we was walking and living inside of our trespasses and sins. This is a problem. This is a quote from R.C. Sproul that I feel captures the heart of the issue here. He says... To be spiritually dead is to be diabolically alive. To be spiritually dead is to be diabolically alive. It means you are physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. And because you are spiritually dead, you are alive in a way that is outrageously wicked. That's what diabolical means, outrageously wicked. Here's the problem, though. You don't think it's outrageously wicked. You think it's just a little wicked. 
You've been formed to think just your little wicked is okay. But he's like, no, 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 no. This is outrageously wicked and you've gotten used to the consistent system of wickedness that you've adjusted yourself to it. Now I got to be more wicked, wicked, wicked to actually consider that it's wicked. Even though... Even though I'm not a big fan of zombie movies, right? <laughs> One thing I like about zombie movies is that every time I look at them, it reminds me of these verses right here. You have these, these people that are alive, but on the inside they're dead. And because they're deadness, they naturally gravitate towards a wickedness that does harm to others and themselves. And I'm like, that's us. That's us when we was dead in our trespasses and sins, living in it and walking in it. We were like those, those, those rotten corpses that are running around and, and doing intense wickedness. I'm like, that's us, but it doesn't look like it to us because we've dressed it up and made it real pretty. Paul confesses that this was the reality for all of us, for all of mankind. Next time you watch Walking Dead, you are the guys on the other side of the fence. That's what Paul was saying. That was us. If we catch this, he characterizes it for us. He describes it. Again, you know, the TV said it looks like this way, but Paul describes it. He characterizes it. He says... He characterized what life was like when you were spiritually dead or in, in sprawls ver- verbiage, diabolically alive. In, in, in verse 3, he characterized it and he describes it as a time when we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying in out the desires of our body and our mind. And that's where you do a pulse check because, to be honest, it gets a little bit too close to elements of our life, right? now. You just let the spirit just marinate on that and just work that out, right? I read this text and I see a a family aspect to this text. Now this, look, God uses natural situations of life, whether good or bad, but he uses natural situations of life to display spiritual realities, right? Sometimes you may miss it, you may not realize it, but He commands every single thing in existence, every single thing, and he teaches us these lessons, these spiritual lessons that we see in everyday life that we can touch and that we can feel, but he's using it to give us these living examples of what he's talking about. For instance, how many people inside here are connected to a family? None. There's, there's two people 
There's two people that's, this is weird. Okay. We're all connected to our family because you was born by somebody, right? I, I figured I'd just help. But since you're all, we all are connected to family in some way or another, it also means that we all know the brokenness of family in one way or another. We all know it. You can't be connected to family and not know this. We all know it. We all, all of us have been hurt by family in some way or another. All of us know the sting of family in some way or another. So, the effect of the fall was a brokenness in God's family. A severing of the relationship between God, our Father, and his created children, humanity. Now, all brokenness of family reflects the brokenness of his family. So the next time you're weeping and the next time you're crying and the next time you are experiencing the brokenness of, of family, God is using it to give you examples of the brokenness that he feels inside of his family with his people. It always speaks to that. Every single tear and pain speaks to the pain that he feels. In the fall, he lost a relationship with the son and the daughter. That's why he uses Paul to refer to those who followed the course of this world, who followed the demonic spirit of the air as sons of disobedience. He's like, those are my disobedient kids. They, they don't follow me. They were born that way. Therefore, they are by nature children of wrath. And see, earlier we talked about how the course of this world is like a current that carries you away in the direction that it's going. And how you have to be intentional to swim against the current, right? But we were, by nature, children of wrath. So on the inside, we actually like the way that the current is going. So every now and then, we would just let go and let it take us where it wants to take us. Now, as a matter of fact, we would swim the direction of the current to get there faster. That's, that's just, that's our nature. It's like, it's like if sin was yellow, we would all be minions. <laughs> Did that quote go up? No. <laughs> It's our nature, though. It's like the nature of a vulture is it eats meat. It doesn't eat vegetables. If I had a vulture right here and I have some vegetables right here and meat right here, it would always go to the meat. Even if I switched out vultures, it would still go to the meat because in its nature, we crave dead things.
But here's the good news, right? Like, what I'm hoping to do this morning is cultivate a sense of the reality of how dead we were. Here's the reality of it. Most of us will admit to it a little bit. But it's way worse than you actually think. We was way far off than you actually think. What I'm hoping this morning to, is to cultivate us out of our hearts of a reality of how desperate we really, really, really needed him. Because most of us is like, well, I sort of needed him a little bit. so And I got him now, and that's good. But you don't worship him the way that you should because you don't realize the depth of how much you really, really needed him. I was watching one of those zombie movies that I don't like watching too much, right? <laughs> what do you say? Oh, I didn't think so. I don't like watching them. But there was this one, I don't remember which one it was, but the girl, she used to be a zombie. And they had some way changed her from being a zombie. She came to be a regular person. But she remembered how it was being a zombie. And it was time that she would just break down and weep. Just thinking about the dead life. Just thinking about how it was before. And I'm saying sometimes the reason why we don't worship God the way that we should, because we don't spend enough time thinking about how dead we were. We think it's not that bad. Let the people that's been hurt by you tell you that then. Let them testify whether it's that bad or not. No idea. And sometimes it should break your heart and lead you to worship our God like Lord. I was a corpse that was rotten. Good news, the good news. The moment that you received Christ, you were united with him and adopted into, into, into the family. God brought you back into the family, and there was a reconciliation that was made, and we are no longer a child of wrath by nature. You're given the Holy Spirit of Christ, the obedient son. You're given the, the spirit of the obedient son to come and live inside of you, to keep you and to guide you and to protect you. Now you have a new nature. Now you have a choice. As we get ready for communion this morning, right? Again, what I'm hoping is to cultivate the Bible says those that have been forgiven much, man, they worship much more. When they realize the depth, when they're, they're real with themselves and like, listen, man, who are you kidding? 
Like, there's nobody here for you to pretend for, right? You know that you are way more raggedier than you pretend to be. You know it. You see, almost every single service we take communion, almost every single service, because it symbolizes our fellowship and relationship with Christ. He commands us to do it often. Continue to do it often, 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 often. Continue to think about what happened here. The juice represents his blood that flows. Listen, that flows for those that submitted their heart to him. that submitted their lives to him. They now follow his leadership through his spirit, not the course of this world and the spirit of the air. Not the passions of their flesh carrying out the desires of their mind and their body. The bread represents his, his body given for us. Now, instead of following the wicked nature that we was born into, we, we wage war against it. Submitting to the new nature in Christ, we wage war. Submitting to the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of the air. See, we've been delivered from the bondage of death. But sometimes we're like the children of Israel in the wilderness. You see, they had gotten delivered from bondage in Egypt, generations of bondage. And the Lord did these mighty, mighty works delivering them out. Then they get out there inside the wilderness and they're going. Then after a while, they start complaining. They're like, man, take us back to Egypt. Take us back to where things were good. Forgetting how bad they really, really were. I was thinking the other day, like, I would, if I had a, a, a superpower, it would be I would go back in time, right? And I, and I always think about these moments in time I would go back to as a kid that were you know, fun moments. I'm zooming into those fun moments, though. And another day, I was just backing up and looking at the picture, and I'm like, ah, oh, the elements around it was bad. Sometimes you forget how bad things really were. This morning, you see, remembering how bad things are is a spiritual discipline. Remembering where you've been delivered from is a spiritual dis discipline. So this morning, before you take communion, I want to I ask you to contemplate your life before you had an authentic relationship with Jesus. 
before you've submitted to him, before you let go and let him live inside of you, contemplate the depths of your sin, the depths of brokenness. I want you to just linger in it and think about how bad things were. Me and the Holy Spirit, the Lord, help me to have a sense of the weight of my own wickedness. Because really, we don't. Then as you do that, I want you to spend some time thanking him for deliverance. Thanking him for freedom. Thanking him for dying on a cross for you so that you will not have to be bound to that same old deadness. And then fellowship with him and communion and worship him for what he has done. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.